0: Where was the best cup of coffee you've ever had?
1: It was in the bar of the Vatican Library, and I do believe it was the holy water that made the difference.
0: Coming up, we look at how the coffee bars of Italy serve an expert cup, but you have to know some of the rules to fit
2: in. 10.30 to 11 is the last cappuccino of the day or the first gelato of the day. In Berlin, the coffee break
0: often comes with a treat.
3: One thing I really like to do is to go to have a Kaffee und Kuchen, which is actually a German ritual, cake and coffee.
0: Three tour guides from Germany tell us why they love living in Berlin and what the city has to offer to entertain and impress its visitors.
4: I'm a big fan of walking, and uh, Berlin is beautiful for that because there's so much space, there's so many parks.
0: Living in Berlin, plus enjoying coffee in Italy and the beer gardens of Munich. We'll save you a seat in the hour ahead. It's Travel with Rick Steves. To make any day feel a little special, there's nothing like visiting one of the traditional coffee bars you'll find all over Italy. Or grab a seat in the shade at an outdoor beer garden in Munich to get into the spirit of Oktoberfest. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we get expert advice on what you should know to feel right at home when you step out for a coffee or a beer. We're at 877-333-7425. Just walking down the street, you can see Berlin's history all around you. Sometimes it can be rather grand, and sometimes it's quite tragic. The one-time gritty manufacturing hub is now enlivened by a burgeoning art and tech scene that draws young workers to the city. Berlin seems to be a city in constant flux, and that's one of the reasons our guests have each chosen to call it their home. Carolina Marburger and Holger Zimmer grew up in small towns in Germany and moved into the big city, while several years ago, Macy Hitchcock relocated to Berlin from London. They join us now on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us why they love Berlin. Carolina, Macy, Holger, willkommen. Vielen Dank. Danke. Vielen Dank. So nice to have you here and talk about a city that really is, I would say of all the cities in Europe, the most changed city in the last generation, you could say, is Berlin. When you think of your hometown, how would you characterize the change in the last uh, generation, Carolina?
4: Well, given that, of course, the major change is the fall of the wall, but actually one should always kind of take into consideration that change was one of the defining moments of Berlin throughout its history because there was, long before any war hit, there was a saying, very famous, that said, Berlin is doomed to evermore become but never to be. Berlin S- is doomed, doomed to, to evermore, evermore become, become but never, never to, to be. be.
0: Say that in German.
4: Berlin is verdammt dazu, immer zu werden und niemals zu sein. Ooh,
0: sounds good, but I, I kind of like the English better. <laughs> ah, and that's so true, isn't it? I mean, I was just there recently, and the Spree River, which for so long was the city turned its back on. Holger, What what is the position of the Spree River now, which is really like the, uh, the Thames in London or the Seine in Paris? Yeah,
5: it's still, let's say, not really bathable, even though they're working on this big time, that maybe one day we can actually dive into the river right in the city center. But it has really changed and that many more kind of places have opened up, like beach bars here or a Mm -hmm. bar where you can go dance tango out in the open. It's right by the riverside, right by Museum Island. So a lot of things are happening that make the river more accessible and more walkable and really
0: more integrated into the city's living heritage. Because you said it's not quite swimmable, but someday maybe you can dive into it and enjoy that. But uh, a generation ago, if you jumped into the river, you might have policemen shooting you.
5: That's another story, indeed. Yeah, not just you getting a big uh, skin rash here right. from all the pollution, which is you know getting better. But yes, at some parts it the was river, part of the wall. The river was the natural border between east and west, and the wall right next to it. So
0: um, that has changed, and that really was. Uh, it has a lot of gruesome stories about that. And Macy, when I'm on the Spree River in Berlin now, it's as Holger mentioned. There's sort of. Uh, fake Tahiti beach resorts almost. I mean, you've got lounge chairs and, and Mai Tais. And, yeah. uh, that must be fun in the summer.
3: It is. It's a lot of fun. There's probably a little bit less of that. There was a big phase where there was a lot of that going on and there's a little bit less of it now. But what you now have is things like you have swimming pools, basically. There's a swimming pool in a boat by a river. That's very popular. Uh-huh. Holger was talking about in the future they're planning on creating more. And they also are, one thing I did recently was stand-up paddle boarding mm. on the Spree. On, but I was terrified about falling in, though, because it's <laughs> quite filthy. It really. Is is quite filthy. So still. that's interesting. So it's filthy, yeah.
0: but, it's, uh, <laughs> but, but there are open air bars along the riverbank. And, and oh, now there's you. like a 10 euro um, English language one hour uh, tourist cruise up and down the river, which was a beautiful look at Berlin. Also fascinating for me is, of course, the Cold War um, remnants where you have the capital of Germany right there on the river, rebuilt on the river, and German um, administration buildings for the national government. Isn't there some kind of a bridge that symbolizes Germany coming together over the river? Yeah, das Band des Bundes, the, the federal uh, connection
5: in a way. But it's not really a bridge for like regular people. It is like, actually a bridge that connects to government Office buildings, so skyway, the people, skyway kind of thing. Right. So it's more like a really a symbolical thing because it really connects there at this point in the center of the city, the eastern part to the western shore of the Spree River.
0: And for a, a German to look at that, the, the symbolism is kind of nice: east and west coming together. Macy, when I was um, working on my guidebook for twenty years on Germany, I you know all the time it was the east and the west, and I actually had to reconstruct the whole chapter because it's all gone to the center now and. Uh, Sort of surprising to me, I did a TV show 15 years ago in Berlin, and most of it was around, you know, Zudem and Kurfürstendamm and so on. Now, when I looked at the best of Berlin, in my estimate, almost the entire show was in what used to be behind the the wall, eastern Berlin. Tell us about the kind of structure, historically, of Berlin. Uh, the public spaces are interesting, they're unique. The city was born in a, in a unique way. What, what's the foundation of the city?
3: Well, I mean, actually, it, it basically began as various, or well, as a little fishing village in the centre of the uh, city, what's now the centre of the city, which has all been basically decimated, was decimated in the Second World War, any kind of remnants of that area. Yeah. Although I have colleagues from a tour guide, for Ein, we should say, that Carolina runs, uh, and one of those people is an archaeologist, and he's actually digging up something called Petriplatz, which is where you have the remains of this old village, but Berlin evolved in a way that you ended up when the Prussians, the Hohenzollern kings, basically took over the city or kind of didn't found it because it was already founded. But as these, it was originally these disparate areas, they conceived it as a kind of military a garrison town or a city. And one, one thing I really impressed me when I was first came to Berlin was these huge open spaces. And I was asking people, why is there so much space here? Is this left over from just communism, or is it the Nazis, because you have the military parades? And they said, no, it has its roots in the Prussian era, because the Prussians basically conceived their state as a very militaristic state.
0: So these were parade grounds?
3: Parade grounds. And the Nazis, of course, could pick up on that. That was wonderful, prepared everything for them. Mm. Uh, And it's different in the East, because essentially, due to the bombing of Berlin, much Mm -hmm. of areas being just cleared out by the East Germans, beautiful Prussian buildings being torn down, and also turned into military parade spaces and
0: by the way when we think of the German helmet with a little pointy spear on the top yeah. and when we think of goose stepping and so on that's sort that's of the Prussian Russia. military yeah. heritage I believe during Bismarck the uh, Department of Education was within the Department of uh, Military or something that like makes that sense. It, was, yeah. it was life was like it was the Sparta of Yeah, of modern absolutely Europe. yeah our guests on Travel with Rick Steves right now are professional tour guides and media producers from Germany Holger Zimmer and Carolina Marburger moved to Berlin from smaller towns in Germany and Macy Hitchcock moved from Britain to make Berlin her home a few years ago. They're here to tell us the many reasons why they love Berlin and what you can enjoy in the city too. Well, when we think of the foundation of Berlin or the the
5: evolving of Berlin, I think a very big part is the Industrialization, because Berlin was nothing to write home about in the Middle Ages. Like right. For a long time in Europe, European standards like Paris, Vienna, London, they were the big players. Berlin was like easy peasy, nothing really. It only grew by amazing numbers in the mid-1800s. Well, with industrialization, the Industrial Revolution. Because yes. you know, when
0: think, you go into, e- the Prince Lauenberg is so characteristic and colorful and creative. It, it's sort of the... The Soho or or the, the Left Bank or something.
5: Nowadays, but back in the day when it was found, it was basically cheap, fast
0: accommodation for
5: workers. You know, think about the smoking chimneys. Think about the factories for like the, the trains, the steel mills. All of that was Berlin. AEG Siemens, the big factories, you know, the big companies. That's lured people to Berlin and that was a big industrial age that still makes a
0: mark. You on know, Berlin. this is so interesting, the history of Berlin. Different things lure people in. For a whole generation, uh, Carolina, during the Cold War, Berlin was an island of the West in the East, an island of that was not communist. How did the government... Stop Berlin from just everybody going away. I mean, Berlin stayed very vital, but it wasn't an accident.
4: Yes, well, it was heavily subsidized and uh, you were even, like workers were basically lured (laughs) to Berlin because people, it was indeed sort of dying out because people did leave, but they got people there by the so-called shiver bonus, it was called, uh, which was more money paid. Basically a a bribe to to live in Berlin (laughs) when you're surrounded by the Berlin Wall. Yes, And what kind of
0: people did that attract?
4: Well, a lot of them were were so-called guest workers, so very often took migrants that mm-hmm. were, because when the war came up, basically this booming German economy had so much kind of pressure and, and and strength that they very often could integrate all these millions of refugees from East Germany. When the war goes up, Normal refugees are coming, and so they start inviting workers from across Europe, from, from other NATO countries.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. So poor regions of Germany domestically could provide the workers, but when you have that wall... Now you need to go elsewhere for your workforce, your labor force, mm-hmm. and Turks were willing to come over. Yeah, Turks, and, Italians,
4: Greeks. Yes. And, uh, and the whole was...
0: guestarbeiter concept, which is almost a universal word, guestarbeiter <laughs> is the German for yeah. guest worker. This is Travel Turk Steves. We're talking about why I love Berlin with three Berliners, Holger Zimmer, Carolina Marburger, and Macy Hitchcock. So what is it about Berlin? I mean, the history is fascinating. Everywhere you look, there's history. But what is it about the culture that would cause a German today to say, I want to live in Berlin? Macy?
3: Well, I would say in the past it definitely wasn't the jobs, Mm -hmm. uh, but that's changing increasingly because it's become a bit of a tech hub. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of people working in the tech industry now. And I think what mainly attracts people is the fact that it's still affordable in comparison to other German cities like Frankfurt and Munich, which are impossible now, I'd say, to live in. uh, Because Berlin is,
0: is famously affordable for a big capital city. Yes, You've got wonderful public transportation, uh, you've got affordable culture. Holger, why would a young person without a lot of money choose to live in Berlin?
5: Yeah, I think what what really strikes me, and that's like an everyday fascination still, is the diversity of Berlin, because what Berlin has is not only like this wealth of huge, like major European-style museums, you know, like we have about 180 museums in in Berlin alone, museums and galleries, so it's art, it's highbrow culture, but it's also... Very much the nitty-gritty. You know, there's a wealth, a plethora of clubs you can go to like any night of the week to hear some music for free, live music in a pub, in a tiny little club. And I think that's this balance the mix that really attracts me so one night I'll be out and hearing a piano recital in a, in a private home of, of someone who's doing this for 30 years it was like a GDR poet he still invites people to to talk and to hear music the next night I would go down in the basement of a former squat and hear a cool punk rock band from, from China playing so a,
0: a DDR poet did you say yeah uh, so that yeah. would be a, East, a former communist poet absolutely yeah. and then a squat what is a squat
5: a squat is like a house that was like pretty much common around 89, 90 when Berlin was was just kind of opening up. East Berlin was opening up. A lot of houses empty, derelict because people had fled to the west. And a lot of people would just kind of take over. They didn't knock the door in, take a new lock, and then, you know, use it, rebuild it. A lot of it was falling apart and do their own thing. So a lot of things happened, new spaces, new culture, and people took over themselves. And that's that's still happening. That's
0: sort of the, it fertilizes the soil for creativity and and fun culture and music and Bohemian lifestyles, when rents are really cheap.
6: die sie singt genau wie
0: wir ein Lied.
6: Alle Vöglein stimmen
0: fröhlich ein, Wochenend
6: und Sonnenschein.
0: Kein Auto, keine Chaussee und niemand
6: in unserer Nähe.
0: Tell us about your impressions of Berlin. We'll open the phones in just a minute for your calls at 877 rick on Travel with Rick Steves.
7: Hello, nama saya Elizabeth Pisani dan saya seseorang Inggris tetapi lama di Indonesia dan sangat suka jalan di Indonesia dan sekarang ini saya jalan sama Rick Steves. That was Bahasa Indonesia, which is the national language of Indonesia and what I was saying was, hi, my name is Elizabeth Pisani and I'm English, but I travel a lot in Indonesia and right now I'm travelling with Rick Steves. Hello, nama saya Elizabeth Pisani, saya seseorang Inggris tapi lama jalan di Indonesia. And sekarang ini saya jalan bersama Rick Steves.
0: We'll head down to Bavaria in a bit to enjoy the traditional beer gardens of Munich and we'll finish off the hour with advice for ordering and enjoying the scene at one of Italy's many atmospheric coffee bars. Right now, we're hearing why 3 of our favorite German tour guides love Berlin as their home city. Our guests are Keberlina Marburger, Maisie Hitchcock and Holger Zimmer. Eric in New Haven, Connecticut's on the line at 877-333-7425. Hi, Eric.
6: Hi, Rick. Um, I went to Berlin um, in between two other cities, and I thought we were just going to pop over and see a few sites, but it's such a massive and beautiful place, and there isn't a single site that really stands out, but I wanted to encourage your listeners to really think about staying in the kind of eastern side. We found a, an Airbnb that turned out to be some ladies' apartment that looked like it probably did in the 50s or 40s. And we had a beautiful view of the radio tower and spent a lot of days having some coffees in the Prenzlauersburg. And, you know, we saw a lot of sights, but it was probably more fun to just kind of hang out in the neighborhoods. Uh, We like Cruzburg a lot. So not too much of a question, but just a strong encouragement.
0: You know, I I think...
6: more time than you think you need there because there's so much to see.
0: So, of course, there's great museums and galleries, but this sort of um, pithy culture of the city that you're talking about is something that surprises a lot of people. And Holger, Eric is mentioning these uh, time-warp 1950s kind of apartments that might be an Airbnb. Is it fair to say one nice thing if you're nostalgic about the whole communist time was it sort of locked them in time and if they didn't get knocked down today they're recognized and they're kind of Retro and interesting because they're like they were in the 50s or the 60s.
5: I think it's not common like 50s and 60s. That's kind of long gone in a way. But still, you do have a lot of references to other times, to other eras, and a lot of the let's say the 70s, the 80s, still the GDR style is still visible, especially in Prenzlauer
0: Berg. And really, Eric, you're right about it. Bring some time when you come to Berlin. Take some time, Macy. I'm just enamored with uh, Karl Marx Alley. It used yes. to be called Stalin Alley, yes, right? Yes, it did. Yes. Tell me the story, and what would you find in Karl Marx Alley? Well,
3: Ali? Karl Marx Alley, what you get if you want to experience a kind of how the GDR liked to see itself rather than what it really was, you go to Karl Marx Alley. It's a grand so Stalinist that a GDR again, meaning uh, German East Germany. Yeah, the, genau, the, exactly. Yeah, the communist. Yeah, Germany. the communist East, and basically it was built during the kind of early years of East Germany as a way of proving that the East Germans had money or could build. Uh, because if you have money you have armies uh, or you can fund armies. The East German leaders were building it in kind of a competition with the West. So it's kind of
0: a Moscow aesthetic, isn't it? Yes, it's sort it of is. like Moscow elegance. Yeah. It is just like this bold
3: it's a kind of Stalinist style, so it's we yeah. call it Stalinist wedding cake style or zuckerback stil, which is basically wedding neo-classical. cake Stalinist. I yeah. haven't heard that. That's yeah.
0: good. Eric, thanks for the call. Thanks a lot, Rick. And John's calling in from Fort Myers in Florida. Hey John.
6: Hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Our 22-year-old daughter is a Fulbright scholar who spent a summer in Berlin uh, a couple of years ago. And when she applied for her award, she loved Berlin so much that that was basically the only place she wanted to go. And she was lucky enough to be selected. (laughs) She's there now, living kind of between Prinz Lauerberg and Friedrichshain in the former East Berlin. And she loved it so much, she said why don't you and mom come over here? I think you're going to love it. It's fabulous. We were a little reticent. we have been to other parts of Germany years ago, never to the east, and thought, well, why not? So we went over for a month, stayed with her, bought a Mannatzkart for the public transit for 81 euros, and spent four weeks averaging probably five to ten miles a day between walking Mm -hmm. And riding the U-Bahn, the S-Bahn, the trams, the buses went everywhere. It's such a fascinating mix between the East, the West, the old, the new, the historic German buildings that, that are there, the former East German buildings, some of them still abandoned and decaying, some of them being renewed. It looked to me in parts like it was the largest construction project in the world, too. Mm. Everywhere we went, there's construction cranes. Oh, they used to say the national
0: bird there was the crane. I mean, it It, used to be a forest of cranes. I don't know when it's going to be finished. But, hey, John, that whole idea of affordable Berlin, you stayed for a month and apparently uh, found it entertaining day after day after day, and I can understand why, especially if you have a taste for history, and that 80 euros for a Monats card... That would be about $100 for a one-month transit pass, so $3 a day, and you got the run of the the greatest city in Germany. You got a place to crash if you've got a daughter who's a, a Fulbright scholar ending up in Berlin. What a great idea to come by and uh, kind of prove that uh, Berlin is a great place to be a, a temporary local.
6: And that's probably the best thing about it. Rather than feeling like a tourist, we actually felt like we lived there for a while, and the price seemed like about half of what it is in, a, in the U.S., and, I, and we kept asking her, is this really the way food <laughs> is life? Yeah. Is this for real? And she said,
0: the, the beer is cheaper than water.
6: <laughs> uh, a that's Germany beer, for you? That's just <laughs> German <laughs> values.
0: <laughs> John, thanks for your call. Thank you, Rick. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Berlin with three Berliners. Our phone number is 877 333 and Diana is on the line from Seattle. Diane, what is your Berlin experience?
6: Actually, uh, my first time in Berlin is coming up in a few months. And besides doing the regular top things to do, Brandenburg Gate, et cetera, we kind of want to know, what do Berliners do? Where do they go to the theater? What's their favorite museum? What do they do to spend a Saturday? We're going to have like five days to ourselves.
0: Okay. Well, let's just go with each one of our guides here. And uh, just one favorite museum or one favorite experience that you'd want to be sure that Diane has when she's in your city. Carolina.
4: It's a beautiful, it's in a former bunker, it's called the Boros Collection, it's a private collection by a collector that has only very, very modern art in a former bunker that he has basically established just for that collection. So in
0: a bomb shelter, um, a collection of modern European art? Yes,
4: it's actually by definition, it is not allowed to be older than 15 years, so it's really recent art. So
0: this would be cutting edge art art. with a a German style or a cosmopolitan? No, completely
4: international. And what is the name of that again? Boros, uh, sort of B-O-R-O-S, bunker. All right.
5: And uh, Holger? I'd go a little bit more old-fashioned style go-to. My recommendation would be the Alte National Gallery, the old National Gallery at the Museum Island. Uh-huh. And it houses the most amazing collection of kind of romantic German painting. Caspar David Friedrich, Menzel, like these people who really captured this idea of, you know, monks staring at the sea and the moonlight shining. It's, it's quite romantic. It's quite dramatic, Germanic,
0: but I have to say you can
5: spend a whole nice afternoon.
0: In the name of that gallery, the Alte National Gallery. So the old National Gallery, it's on the Museum Island and it is surrounded by a lot of other great museums, but I'm totally with Holger because Germany was united in the 1870s I believe, and there was a sort of a super romantic notion of what is Germany's heritage, the Alte National Gallery, and Macy.
3: Do you know, I'd say with Holger as well on that front, for different reasons, I love the German Romantic painters, but I would say to go there for the Berlin painters, because they look, get overlooked a lot. People like Walter Leistikoff, who did uh, lots of paintings of uh, Schlachtensee, which is a lake in Berlin, very kind of moody, dramatic paintings, Menzel, who painted the Prussian monarchs. There's a side of Berlin, you can see paintings of Berlin, you know, pre 20th century Berlin, which, you know, we don't see much. Uh, of the Grand Boulevard. So these are 19th century 19th painters? 19th century painters. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely worth checking their stuff out as well because I think they often get overlooked because you've got the big names of Romanticism and Impressionism in okay. the Alte Nationale
0: Very nice. So Diane, you've got your marching orders there. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I think, uh, oh, it's just, there's so much in Berlin. You'll see the obvious things, of course, but yes. uh, keep those in mind and, and let us know how your trip goes.
6: Thank you so much. Thank you all. I really appreciate it.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about why I love Berlin from three Berliners who love their hometown. Holger Zimmer, Carolina Marburger and Macy Hitchcock. You guys are all traveling around the United States now. When you get home, what's your ritual to just reintroduce yourself to your town? What do you look forward to and do it right away when you get home? Macy.
3: One thing I really like to do is to go to have a café and kuchen, which is actually a German ritual, cake and coffee, and it's at a place called the Markt Neun, which is in Kreuzberg, which is an old formerly Western district, uh, which is very diverse. And I like the Markt Neun because it has a, a liveliness about it. It's an old market and you have a lot of produce from local areas. It's a bit hipster, mm-hmm. but it kind of caters to all tastes and the kind of people it attracts. It's a mixture of kind of New Berlin, which is international young hipsters. And then you've got... Also discount supermarkets in there. So you have the actual real old local. there as well. So this is coffee well. and
0: cake. Coffee and, and, and cake in kind of a in market, the, in the
3: market So it's an open market. There's lots of kids running around. It's just a nice atmosphere. In Kreuzberg. Kreuzberg is basically very Turkish. Yeah, Turkish. So yeah, it's in uh, East Kreuzberg. So closer to where the wall was. Nice. Yeah.
5: Holger. I think my favorite thing would be after saying hi to the family, I would immediately go out and check what's happening, what's the buzz, and I'll go for it. try to find some nice underground, maybe a comedian, some kind of basement bar, some kind of things
0: where live music is happening. I'm not very sophisticated about uh, music scenes and so on, but I've always found jazz clubs to be easy and welcoming in Berlin. Is that still the case? Yeah,
5: still the case. Great clubs. B-Flat is one of them. B-Flat is great. A-Train is another oh, one. Both, and yeah. there was a time where you could go any day of the weekday, uh-huh. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there is a free session going somewhere. So you just kind of So just buy a drink and enjoy it. There you go. And you have the greatest musicians. They come together because they want to play. They want to be out there on the scene and you see them for free. And that's a great vibe. Carolina?
4: Well, I'm a bit of an outdoor person, so actually I'm a big fan of Walking And uh, Berlin is beautiful for that because there's so much space, there's so many parks. So my favorite around the corner is Park, which is just, it used to be a wasteland, but it was former tracks that, because of the change of the city, were deserted. And they put a beautiful, relatively modern urban park. You see the subways that go actually above your heads pass by, and you get a drink around the corner at one of those famous spätis. And you just sit down and, and just have a sip.
0: And you guys are also filled with joy living in a city that has gone through such a tumultuous century, a city that 70 years ago was flattened, I mean, just literally flattened. And uh, I know when you stand on, on top of your Capitol building and you look out and you see a little wooded hill... It looks like a beautiful park to me. And you know, how did that hill get formed, Holger?
5: It's the rubble from the Second World War. All the things that have to be cleaned out by the Trümmerfrauen, the ladies who were cleaning out after forty-five, Everything was more or less completely destroyed in the city center. And they put it into a huge hill. They have to put it somewhere. So it's the and biggest it's...
0: hill in the town, and it's made from rubble, from the destruction of Berlin in 1945. Now you can and today, walk in it. You walk yeah. with your dog on it. My favorite one, very touristy, to be right on the island, Lustgarten. And the Lustgarten used to be a military parade ground, and now it is just a place for lovers and poets and people to just sit there in the middle of that great city. Carolina Marburger, Macy Hitchcock, Holger Zimmer, thank you very much for a look at your beautiful city. Thanks for having me, Thanks for having me.
7: <laughs> Good feelings inside that make your home a melody Hey friends and shake your head so happy
0: A lot of the traditions of southern Germany include the pretzels, sausage, and beer that we Americans associate with Oktoberfest. As the capital of Bavaria, Munich is known for its lively beer halls, like the famous Hofbrauhaus. When the weather's good, the city's outdoor beer gardens become a popular way to enjoy a brew or three and to chat and sing along with your neighbors. To help us visitors feel at home, we got a comfy seat next to a fountain in Munich to check in with a local tour guide, Grit Rant. She told us how her fellow Bavarians like to enjoy the city's traditional beer gardens during the upcoming Oktoberfest season.
7: We are singing something when we toast, and we're toasting actually to Gemütlichkeit. So it's like Ein Brot, sit ein Brot, sit der Gemütlichkeit. And this gemütlichkeit is a real important part of our life. It translates best into a mixture of sociability and coziness. And this is what we Munich people or Bavarian people experience either in beer gardens or in our restaurants in beer halls and breweries or on Oktoberfest. I'm sure a lot of people don't even know what they are singing at that point, but it's a toast to this important part of Bavarian life. What and why is a beer garden? I really love to talk about beer gardens because I tend to use it a lot myself. A beer garden, you have to imagine trees, always chestnut trees, and they are giving a lot of shade to people sitting underneath on wooden benches. You can hear... Uh, The big beer mugs, one liter, of course, um, when they clink to each other, it makes this toasting noise of beer mugs. You have people chatting away and everybody is happy. Maybe they're eating a half chicken or a typical Bavarian cream cheese variety, which is Obatzda, very funny word. This is where... We enjoy this gemütlichkeit. I've just been talking about this. Why do we have beer gardens? You have to go back more than 250 years when the breweries had a big problem because they wanted to sell beer in summer. Of course, this is when you're thirsty, when you need beer. But they couldn't really brew beer in summer because you couldn't keep it, you couldn't stock it, Uh, it went off. And they were not allowed to brew an open fire because it was too dangerous triggering a fire in the city in a dry summer. So uh, somebody had the idea, we will brew a much stronger beer in spring and then we will put it underground. They dug massive beer cellars underground and cut big blocks of ice in winter, wrapped them in straw put them on top of the barrels and then the air could circulate and it kept the beer cool for quite some time and they had fresh beer in summer. This idea was even improved when somebody had the idea to give natural shade from top. And this is why they planted chestnut trees. First of all, strong, thick leaves giving a lot of shade. And secondly, the roots of the chestnut trees, they stay on the surface. They wouldn't go down, otherwise they would have ruined the beer cellars underneath. And now imagine, you went to the breweries, this used to be like that in former time with your one liter mug and then you got your beer and suddenly you had the shade, you were sitting there and um, you had your beer there right away, maybe another one and another one and this is when the breweries realized, well this is big business, they put out benches and chairs and then you could sit down and this was how the beer garden was born. There is a very famous one right in the city center of Munich on Viktualienmarkt, Market. But it doesn't matter where you go in Munich, you will always find a beer garden around your corner. And as I said, when my husband comes home from work, we just said, well, we will meet friends in a beer garden on a lovely summer evening. This is the way... To mingle in Munich, and um, it is a very typical thing for locals to do in summer or in spring. The first warm days in spring or the last warm days in autumn are typical beer garden days. Prost! Thank you very much and enjoy your trip to Munich.
0: Grit Rampf is a tour guide in Munich who's been getting us ready to celebrate Oktoberfest like they do in Bavaria. We have a link to her website with this week's show at ricksteves.com radio. 877-333-RICK. That's our numbers. We finish off the hour with an expertly served coffee the way they do it in Italy. Find out what to expect when you visit any of the country's characteristic coffee bars. That's next on Travel with Rick Steves. I don't know if I'm addicted to coffee because I can't remember a day when I went without it. When traveling almost anywhere in Europe, the coffee's really great. And, as you might expect in Italy, they've refined the ritual of making and drinking coffee into practically an art form. You'll see that coffee bars in Italy play a huge role in the daily life of many Italians. We're joined by tour guides Alfio Di Mauro from Sicily and Anna Piperotto from Siena to learn how any of us can experience the art of the Italian coffee bar. They'll so take your calls in a minute at 877-333-7425 to explain how you can enjoy the fun of the coffee bars in Italy, too. Anna, Alfio, thanks a lot for joining us.
1: Thank you. Grazie. Oh,
0: buongiorno. In America, when you say going to the bar, you're talking about a tavern and you can have a beer. In Italy, when you go to a, a bar, you're dealing with coffee. coffee bar, coffee. yes. So tell me, your, your daily visit, Alfio, or what's your relationship to uh, uh, the bar in Sicily?
2: Well, the bar in Sicily is something very important. Each neighborhood, each corner has its own bar. And even if you don't stay much longer in an Italian bar, but it's important that you see your friends there. And often as an act of courtesy, you pay coffee for your friend that will come 10 minutes later. It's not even there in that moment you already pay for the coffee, and then when it comes there, you say, oh, no, you know, Alfio paid the coffee Is, for you. Isn't and then, that sweet? So yes. you drop into the bar, and many times they'll say, oh... Correct. You know, somebody yeah. Oh, you them. have a coffee paid for you. And mm-hmm. then you do the same. Yeah. So even if they do not see each other in that moment, we invented this kind of a media that we communicate each other, paying coffee each other. <laughs> so it's like
0: uh, you just nudged each other with coffee. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Anna, what makes a great Italian coffee bar?
1: Well, I guess when they know your name, as they say, but when you go in and they just know that you want your café leggermente lungo because it lasts that one extra second... I always take an espresso, but I have it a little bit longer so it lasts one more sip, so my morning break just lasts that extra longer bit. Means longer means a little water in it? Yes. Just a little bit more, so yes. So you can
0: have espresso straight, which is little and very strong.
1: Yeah. So instead of being maybe I don't know, three quarters of an inch high, it's an inch high.
0: Ah, so you have a just, few more sips just, out of it. Just one yes.
1: more sip. It makes or you all could the have
0: and is the extreme of that. Coffee Americano? Yes. With an well, espresso with a lot of water.
1: That's a lot of water,
0: yes. Yeah. Okay, so they know what you want.
1: They, kind of, they know what you want. You just say hello. It's a nice way to take a break. As much as a little caffeine perk, it's also a way to say hello to people to maybe help some tourists with their coffee order uh, yeah. and just kind of get a change of scenery before you go back into the office or whatever it is.
0: Do people get coffee to go very often or no, is it yeah. no.
2: Italian coffee culture and American coffee culture are totally different
0: you can't get a car in America without you checking the coffee cups because you're going to sp- drink most of your coffee in the car yeah correct. but an
1: espresso why would you take that to go the whole point is the ritual as you say having it in your ceramic cup yeah. that's been preheated on the machine you sip it in one two three seconds done
0: you're there take is it to it's something go? intense Mm-mm. that happens what's the, the, the mark time? of a
2: good barista well, a good barista is a person that knows how to set the machine properly. Like oh, the right temperature, right okay, pressure so that's of an the water. Skill. That's fundamental. Yes. Right. And sometimes you see excellent machines in US, but people don't know how to set it. Even well, in a coffee bar
0: in yeah, Or put yes, the right amount of coffee, absolutely. press it the right amount, the right not amount, too yeah.
1: hard, not too soft. The pressure
2: of the water okay. and all of that, it makes all the difference.
0: So do you look for because every coffee bar in Italy would advertise the kind of coffee they serve, the beans? Does that matter?
2: Some of them do. Some of them do. Do you care or do you just trust them as far
0: as uh, you the You trust beer? them.
1: Usually. Yeah. I mean, some, yeah. One, one bar might serve Illy, one might serve Danesi or Segafredo or whatever brands, but that doesn't really make a difference.
2: But often really? they're okay, the okay, brands so they're, you never heard before. So
1: oh, right? you don't yeah, bother yeah, too much yeah, with
2: that.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: it, it does, but eh, I know the best coffee I ever had was but, Danesi brand. Danesi, so it's a Roman yeah. brand, but the reason it was so good... It was in the bar of the Vatican Library and I do believe it was the holy water that made the difference.
0: <laughs> so you had it lungo.
1: No, no, leggermente. <laughs> leggermente,
0: just a
2: little water.
1: And a cardinal bought me my first cafe, so, oh, you know. Well,
0: there you <laughs> go.
2: <laughs> there are some shops still today, a little less with the respect of the past, where they make the wrong coffee. I mean, they buy the beans, they toast the beans there and they mix different varieties. Or oh, they make yeah. their own. Yeah, they yes. make their own. They, they fine tune it. Absolutely, yeah. All right. And we still have it today in Sicily, a few of
0: them. Okay. And you in can Siena smell well. it. Our guides right now and Travel with Rick Steves are Alfio Demaro from Sicily and Anna Piperato, an American from Massachusetts, who also teaches art history and now makes her home in Tuscany. They're helping us learn what to expect at the local coffee bars in Italy so that you can enjoy them too. So let's say I'm a tourist. I don't speak the language very well and I'm just exploring some town in Tuscany or, or Sicily. What's the process? I step into the bar. What do I need to know to function in a bar?
1: You need to know what you want. You go to find the cash register. Just say, vorrei un café." Be very confident. confident? Be very confident in what, what you want and that's what you will get.
0: So you go to the cashier first. Yes, you, you
1: usually. In, the, in the, your regular in the, in bar. In the traditional
0: bar. Yeah. And they give you a little receipt. Yes. You take the receipt. This could even be at a rest stop on the freeway. Yes. Yeah. You, you go to the cashier. You say, un café," Un, café. un cappuccino. Sí. Un espresso. Doppio. You <laughs> can get a double if you're fancy. <laughs> then they, you pay for it. You get your receipt. You take it up to the counter so the person making the coffee doesn't deal with money. Yes. Absolutely. And if there's a crowd, you still have to get attention. Yes. You have to find a way to give them the paper. Arm they, through the crowd. They look, cuff they, it. they rip it a little bit, and then in a moment you have your coffee. Yes. Yeah. That's all there is to it.
1: It's very yeah. easy, but the first time is very daunting as a non-native it's Italian true. speaker. It's
2: true. But sometimes they make distinction. If a local asks for a coffee, that means you want an espresso. If an American ah. asks for a coffee without specifying, they say, Americano? <laughs> Because they want to be sure that yes. you, they give and you and what if, you want. And if
0: we just want what we would call drip, you're probably not going to have it there, but they will give you Americano, which is espresso with hot Correct. water in it. Yeah. Correct. So in Italian, coffee is espresso. What are the other options? You've got macchiato. I go for that one.
1: Macchiato is just a dollop of the steamed milk. If you just want a little tiny bit in the espresso cup. If you mm-hmm. want more milk, you go for the cappuccino or cappuccio, as they say locally. And you
0: got iced options these days that are quite popular. Chiquerato.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, correct. But also, you have espresso corto, espresso lungo, you have espresso doppio.
1: And also the choice of cup. Yeah. In glass or in ceramics.
2: Oh, that's
0: an y- issue. Y- yes. Correct.
2: <laughs> and you said doppio, so you can all, yeah, regular or d- double? You have like a double amount of espresso. But all of that comes in a small cup. And then with the cappuccino, we go in a big cup. And then with the caffè latte or latte macchiato, we got in a tall glass. And in
0: America, you know, we're getting a pump of this and a pump of that. We got our vanilla. We got our different flavors. Do you do that in Italy very no. much? No, Not, so no.
1: Some places do. If you go to Florence, for example, they have a, an American style coffee bar because students, American students abroad, are incapable of going to class. Sorry, students. As a professor, I can say this without their giant cup of coffee.
0: That's accommodating the American. Favorite, that's accommodating. Yeah. Yes. Generally, generally, Italian bars don't. Because do that. no, yeah. a bar no. here they ask me, "Do you want any flavor in it?" I'm I'm saying, "Well, I hope you know, coffee." Yeah,
1: yeah. or yeah. grappa.
0: Grappa. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: now that's another issue. That's caffè corretto. <laughs> coffee corretto. So yeah. if you
0: want a yes. shot of some fire yeah. water, yes. is it yeah. always
2: grappa they put in it? Sambuca can be an sambuca. Can mm-hmm. be whiskey. whiskey. Whiskey brandy, and that's yeah. an option. Yeah. Anywhere yeah. you go. The can. only flavor that sometimes uh, some bars do is chocolate. And that is ah. called Marocchino. Yes. Café Marocchino, because it gets Wouldn't we darker. call that a mocha? Uh, no. No, because mocha. it's only this big. It's only... For, a... for the Italians, mocha is the machines they use at home to make the
1: okay. coffee. Okay. Yes.
2: Okay. This is Travel with Rick Steves.
0: We're talking with Alfio Di Moro from Sicily and Anna Piperato from Siena. And we're talking about coffee in Italy. Our phone number is 877 Sandy's on the line from Richmond in Virginia. Sandy, thanks for your call.
7: Buongiorno. I only drink espresso, and I was at a little bar in uh, Volpaya. And I asked, and they only spoke Italian there, and I asked for, due uh, caffè case, per favore. And she looked at me with this frown and says, Americano? And I said, no, no, espresso. She gives me this big hug and says, bravissimo. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So this is <laughs> you're relating
0: to I think what Anna said that in Italy if an American orders a coffee they just assume you want a drip. They don't do yeah. drips so they give you espresso with a lot of water and you wanted the good, solid, traditional, yeah. hardcore yeah. Italian and, coffee espresso.
7: Yeah, and she was happy. But speaking of the Italian coffee, so we go to a bar and we each order a, an espresso a coffee in the morning and you realize it's not enough and are you allowed to, do you have to get back away from the bar and go over and find the person and repay to get a second one? Yeah. Okay.
0: There's no there's no refills. There's none of that Correct. Concept. What I was oh, saying no, is, yeah, refill, there's you know no refills. Say, no. Like, the, no, the yeah. only way to get rid of your money is to go to the cashier. So you could order two at the beginning if you want. Correct. And then spend your, uh, okay. your papers one at a time. Usually
2: Italians, they get about two or three coffees in the morning. Do they for them all together or different times? Different times, yeah. yeah because it's something quick, but usually everything is in the neighborhood. You go back and forth.
1: And remember, it's less caffeine than a drip coffee. So two or three espressos in the morning is less than your venti from Starbucks. Right. So yeah. less caffeine, yeah. I mean. Oh,
2: and you have the yeah. joy oh, of making
0: the scene at the coffee bar.
1: Exactly. I mean, the
2: quantity is so limited. The concentration is high, but the quantity is so limited that the overall caffeine that you get is not yeah. very, very...
7: Oh, that's very helpful. All right. Yeah. And my only other question was uh, about tipping. I see people leave coins Mm -hmm. at the bar. Is that appropriate? It is. For
2: the coffee? It is. People usually, especially in the South, you get a coffee, you ask for a glass of water also at the counter, Mm -hmm. and you leave like 10 cents, 20 cents. So the brown coins. Yes. They they call it the brown coins. Well, the brown coins are like the one, the two, and the five. But you can... Oh, the 10 and 20, The 10, 20 already, yeah, yeah, gold color. But whatever you want is something... That's a nice touch. And a glass of water is fine to ask for when you have a coffee. That's expected. Yes, before you get
1: the and coffee. And usually it's free. Most places will offer you, so that way if you leave your 10 or 20 cents, then it's a nice gesture. That's a nice
0: gesture. But right. I think the tourist might be disrespected and not offered the water. So if you feel like a glass of water, you should say... Agua Parfavoro, is that right?
2: Yeah. In the south of Italy, it's usually for free. In the north, they, they make you pay.
1: to charge. Yeah, sometimes... Yeah. It's Charging for tap yes. like, water. Like mm-hmm. 40 cents. It's, well, it's not tap water. Oh, it's,
0: it's from the m- bottle water. or fizzy water. I got you. Sandy, thanks for your call.
7: Thank you so much. Bye.
0: You bet. Anne is calling from Raleigh in North Carolina. Anne, thanks for your call.
7: Oh, thanks for taking my call. I've had the privilege of visiting Italy several times, and it's just so beautiful. But I do have a question about cappuccino and why Italians don't drink it past ah. the morning time. Yeah.
2: <laughs> we have this time of the day, something around 10, 30, 11, and that is the time that divides your day. 10, 30 to 11 is the last cappuccino of the day or the first gelato of the day. <laughs> that is the dividing portion <laughs> of those two different portions of the day. Okay. Okay? So, it's okay until 11 to get the last cappuccino, and then you can get in the first gelato.
0: But if you order a cappuccino in the afternoon, it's almost you've offended somebody. Yes. And that's, that's the response.
1: What's the, I I, had they look at me so like stop doing it. you,
0: it's like putting ketchup on your, <laughs> on your ice cream, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, as Alfio said, it's just kind of that's the tradition. But if you were to order a cappuccino after lunch or after dinner, good God. Um, <laughs> No, it's it's not done, but as again, my mom always says, I'm on holiday, I shall do what I want, fine, but just know that the waiters and the chef, the cooks are just very concerned about your digestion because yes. milk after a large meal really hinders your digestion. So
0: it's the milk, if you wanted to, the Yeah, that's the cafe the is fine, yeah, So the cappuccino yes. has milk in it and that's exactly. the problem. Exactly. I've yeah. heard it's something about you always have tomato in your gut after eating lunch and putting milk on tomato is not a good thing. Is there anything to do with that?
2: Yeah, because they're seeded on tomato. They're, yeah, they're, yeah.
0: They're but the point is, if you and want milk. coffee in the the afternoon, you don't want people to roll their eyes. Get an espresso or a
1: macchiato. Correct. You can do a macchiato. That's, That's what acceptable. I do. It's acceptable. It's macchiato
0: acceptable. Macchiato with yeah. a little bit of milk. Yeah. usually I Italians I love the espresso. Get...
7: it's fine. I just wondered what the yeah. what the Italians
2: usually was. get. Coffee, even after dinner. And if and just, if uh, if
0: you're like me, you want a little milk in it. And in the afternoon, I don't need a latte. I go for a macchiato. And that, for some reason, is acceptable because it's just a little milk, but it's primarily an espresso. Yes. Amount. All right, Anne. Thanks for your call. Thank
3: you so much. You Thank bet. You. Bye-bye.
0: Elise is on the line in Carlsbad, California. Elise, thanks yes. for your call.
7: We love, of course, we'd love to go to Italy, but we love the coffee bars, and uh, we like to stay near our favorite ones sometimes. And, like, someone asked if you could get two. Well, we like to have one here, and then, you know, later on, go down the street and have another one and maybe another one a little later. So yeah, Big nods it's from both our guests. Sure. That's the this
0: beautiful what, thing. What the Italians and do. I
7: just love the way the uh, the bartenders are so proud of their job and, and they do such a good job. Yeah. And it's like, it's a real thing to be one there, I think.
0: And the whole place has a, a there's a sort of a pride in a coffee shop and the, the heritage is hanging on the wall. This is It's venerable. There's a patina of age. You've got your local characters hanging out each coffee bar has that personality that you can (laughs)
1: and <laughs> One of my favorite coffee bars in Siena, um, I often see some gentlemen there, so I like to go there around 10 in the morning, because that's where I find the men at the office. They're generally not having coffee at that point. They're generally on the white wine, but then they start singing in the streets. So good <laughs> But it's the office. Then for my regular coffee, I go to another place if I really want to have just a proper good coffee chosen by the people who work there. So you mix up the experience. Oh, yes, you don't definitely. sit at the same place.: all no, day no. yeah. And you don't sit. You stand at the bar, by the way. That's where the. This action is not is. a two-hour experience. right?
2: <laughs> a, a suggestion I have for American travelers is another reason why not to order Americano in Italy is that the people that prepare it, they will never drink it. And that is the same in the U.S. I will never order espresso in the U.S. because the people that make the espresso, they don't drink it. They have no idea what is a good or what is a bad mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. So do not order Americano because the people who prepare they have no idea what a good Americano is. So, so that's um, why you should stay with whatever is traditional in that place. So, And that's orders. a good
0: excuse for a conversation when you get to mm-hmm. that town, mm-hmm. is talk to somebody about, give me some tips about ordering coffee here. Absolutely. Cafelungo or whatever. least any other thoughts?
7: Yes, I would uh, like to ask your guests what they think about uh, the Starbucks they've opened by the Vatican. Uh, no, I
1: McDonald's by terrible. the Vatican. No, they're, they're announcing...
2: They're uh, They're announcing that some Starbucks will open uh, somewhere in Italy. I don't think there will be a big future for that. They have to pick a very good location where all of the travelers can be the clients. Mm-hmm. But Italian in general, actually, they are spoiled with very good coffee that is mm-hmm. very cheap.
0: But in a place like the Vatican, assuming they're opening a Starbucks there or some famous place, it could survive just on the tourist
2: it trade. It could survive on the tourists. And there's or a lot like of Americans near by the train that, station or something. And on
1: uh, the, stu- yeah. the students who will go there. It's
0: the security blanket for a lot yes. of Americans is to have, yes, the, just like you like your cafe. You're comfortable there. You yes. go in. You know the people. Yep. The Americans, we know the menu. You know, we know the yeah, the, the yeah. paper cup. It's just like, oh, I'm
7: Correct. home.
1: Some teenagers I know from Siena. They went uh, to Spain and England, and they loved the Starbucks because they felt like characters out of an American TV program. But they said after a week, we can't afford this anymore. So Correct. done. That it is, is uh, too expensive. it's too expensive. It's really double the
0: cost. Yes, yeah. Yeah.
1: triple, quadruple.
0: Elise, thanks for your call.
7: All right, thank you. Okay. <laughs> This
0: is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Alfio Di Mauro and Anna Peperotto about the culture of coffee in Italy. Anna and Alfio, if we can just finish, uh, this is the best single tip for an American tourist to enjoy not only the coffee, but the coffee culture in Italy.
1: I would definitely practice your Italian. Vorrei, I would like. Vorrei un caffè, per favore. Just a simple phrase in Italian will get you a much better espresso. And if you say, I want an espresso. So smart.
0: And that's not that tough. It's Teach, not teach that me tough. that line again. Vorrei.
1: Vorrei un caffè, per favore. Per favore. Please.
0: Now, if I'm an American, I want to clarify an espresso because he might give me caffè americano. I would say caffè ah, espresso. Caffè,
1: see, si? Or you can even say, to be really Italian, un caffè normale. Ah. A normal coffee. Vorrei Ay, un
0: caffè normale. per favore. favore. Sì.
1: Si.
2: <laughs> yeah. Often you, you, you hear from American. That they mispronounce the word espresso. They say mm. expresso. Right. Okay. So even practicing a little yes. bit Espresso. 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 It shows that, that you've will, done your homework. They give you credibility.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh,
2: credibility and they will give you a better coffee. Uh I have a tip for travelers in Italy, especially after a big meal. Italians do not like very sweet things after a big meal. So I uh, will order a coffee with no milk at all, I would not put any sugar at all. So, that is something that will let you understand Italians better. That's why we have all of this wide variety of liqueurs that they call amari, bitter. Bitter, Because after a big meal, Mm -hmm. we're always preoccupied about our digestion, and we think that something very sweet or with a lot of milk will mess with your digestion. Something very herby, bitter will help your digestion right.
0: such a beautiful and inspirational education alfio di Mauro, anate parato mille grazie, grazie a te grazie a
2: tutti
6: Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds Washington by Tim Tatton with Isaac Kaplan-Wilner and Sarah McCormick our website is managed by Andrew Wakeling and our theme music is by Jerry Frank we get promotional support from Sheila Gerzoff Rick produces updated walking tours to many of Europe's most popular destinations. You'll find the latest ones in Rick's Audio Europe travel app. Look for it at ricksteves.com
1: slash radio. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll find guidebooks and phrasebooks for Germany, Austria, Switzerland, plus the Low Countries, and nearly every other corner of Europe. Learn more at
4: ricksteves.com.